Welcome to da, 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 Follow the Leader, where we get to talk about our favorite art songs. So I'm here with Deb, she is my co-host for today, and my friend Tyler, um, who will be singing. Oh, also, I forgot again, my name is Mandy. <laughs> yeah. Mandy! <laughs> today we're talking about a song from Schubert's song cycle, uh, Winterreise, and we're talking about Auf dem Flusse. Uh, the sources I used today are Schubert's Winter Journey by Ian Bostridge, Retracing a Winter's Journey, Schubert's Winterreise by Susan Ewens, and then, as always, I'm usually consulting the leader Bible, Bible on Schubert, the Graham Johnson um, Schubert volumes. So those basically every episode, if I'm covering something about Schubert, I've probably consulted that. I'm so excited to talk about Winterreise. So, you might be asking... What is Winterreise? Exactly. <laughs> I feel like you're also going to correct my pronunciation on that. <laughs> Winterreise. Um, so actually, it's uh, two words together. Uh, one of my favorite things about German is how it just smashes words together. So winter is winter, and Reise is a journey. So winter's journey. It's like just the Mount Everest of song cycles. Composed by Schubert. 24 songs, all texts written by Wilhelm Müller, and it covers the journey of the protagonist in his sort of self-imposed exile, he's been, his love has been scorned. It, of course, happens in the winter, and he travels out of town, and he's sort of seeing his emotions and his grief and his pain and this agony. It's sort of mirrored in all these different things in nature, and that's sort of a, a main um, character um, of German romanticism, these things that you find in nature sort of mirroring your inner soul. Eventually, I'm hoping that in this podcast, we'll be able to do a long series all on Winterreise, but um, today we're just going to go with this one song, Auf dem Flusse. So Wilhelm Müller, he wrote the text for Winterreise, also wrote the text for another great Schubert cycle, um, Die Schöne Müllerin, which is the lovely Miller's daughter. In the classical music world, we know about the poet, we know about Wilhelm Müller because of Schubert. And he was the guy that, sorry, he was the guy that... Um... He was a gentleman that they collaborated quite a bit. No, that what was, was Meyerhofer. Okay, okay, sorry. Yes, that's okay. Thank Another you. M poet. And were they in the same group of... So no, so uh, you mean Müller and Schubert? Yes. No. Okay. So they actually did not know each other. Oh, okay. Schubert did admire Müller's work, mm -hmm. uh, but they did, they did not know each other, and it's probably likely that they didn't know or that like Mueller didn't know that Schubert had actually set or had ever oh. heard his songs Interesting. because Mueller actually died um, in 1827. Okay. Um, so uh, there just wouldn't have been that much time for him to have come across that. Yeah. Wilhelm Mueller, his dates are 1794 through 1827. He was born the son of a poor tailor in Dessau in Germany. Just his Childhood, fairly normal, um, continued on in school, um, and in 1812 to 13, he was sponsored by Duke Leopold Friedrich um, to study at a uni in Berlin. After a year, though, because this was during the time of the Napoleon Wars, um, uh, after a year, he volunteered to be part of the Prussian army. So yeah, so he left school, fought in four battles against the French, and then went back to the university in Berlin. Uh, from 1815 to 1817. He had a wide variety of interests, but he concentrated on philological and historical studies. 
also ancient German language and literature. Um, so philology, you may be asking, what is that? What is philology? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I didn't know, and I actually had to look it up as I was reading about him. Um, it's uh, the topics dealing with uh, historical development and of languages. So like how they came to be and how they're re related to each other, which I actually think is fascinating. Yeah, I was like, sounds like it's right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would be really, really fascinating um, course of study. Apparently, he was an excellent pupil, really, really bright, a really self-motivated, but also in that he was a bit too independent. He was a bit arrogant, really unsettled, sort of had a resentment of authority and... Uh, probably didn't want to be inside of a box. So he really had a hard time focusing in on like one element. People were telling him, focus on this, be an expert in this, find your career, find your job, go. And he was like, ah, I don't really want to do that. Like, I like this and I like this and I want to do this other thing too. So. <laughs> that sounds relatable to me. <laughs> yes. Um, which I think is actually a great thing because it can make you a little bit more, you know, well-rounded, but he really needed to focus in on one thing in particular. So his teachers in 1817 connected him with Baron von Zach. Uh, the Baron was going on a journey to... I think compile for a thesaurus he was making, compile like different ancient inscriptions, something like that. And he needed someone to go along with him. And so um, he contacted the university and the teachers at the university said, oh, hey, here's this great guy, has all these interests. Maybe this will help focus him. Okay. So Mueller went on, on the journey with this baron. And uh, in preparation, so they were planning to go to Greece, Asia Minor, and Egypt. So in preparation for this, um, he didn't know any Greek at the time. So he went to Vienna to study with some experts in the Greek language. So he's there for a few months. And while they were there, they heard that there was an outbreak of the plague where they were planning on traveling to. So they said, actually, we're not going to go there at all. Um, and they decided to go to Italy instead. Oh, okay. <laughs> Have a nice Italian holiday. <laughs> so they were there for a while. And I think, I mean, just in the same way that he sort of didn't like to have authority over him. He had a disagreement with a baron and didn't like the way the trip was progressing. And they ended up parting ways. So he went back to the university and his teachers were pretty disappointed actually that he hadn't finished. So he decided to move back to his hometown in DeSalle and he didn't really know what he was gonna do because at that point he hadn't finished his degree. He didn't really have any money. He had no prospects. But like right at that time, a job opened up in a school in town, like literally like a month later and he applied for the job and he got it. Oh. So it's kind of funny. He just sort of jumped into doing all of the, these different sorts of things. He was teaching, he was writing, he was editing, he was translating. And in spite of all of that, um, he started to feel pretty restless, you know, just not really wanting to focus on one thing and wanting to see what was out there. And there's a quote um, found in uh, Susan Ewan's book that I absolutely love. By June of 1820, so he'd been there probably, I think, about six or seven months, he said he was already chafing against the boundaries of his existence. Okay. <laughs> also, same. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, this guy sounds totally ridiculous and totally relatable. But also, like, chafing against the boundaries of existence. Has yes. that ever been said in a yeah. better way? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and actually, this sort of um, idea was a theme in a lot of his poetry, this sort of traveling, wandering around, if you take Winterreise, for instance, it's that 
it starts out with these footsteps. I'm kind of obsessed with footsteps, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) This is my favorite sound. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The footsteps at the beginning of Winterreise, it's immediately we know we're on a journey. We're wandering. We're going somewhere. So this is 1820-ish. By this time, he had already been writing poetry, working on his prose. And he, because of what he had come across with his Greek studies, he decided to write a set of, oh gosh, somewhere in the 70s, 77, maybe 74, something like that, um, Greek songs. And he published them, his Griechenlieder. And that actually brought him some fame. They were fairly politically subversive. So through these songs, remember in this time era, there were a lot of censors and think people were trying to keep the status quo. You didn't want to be too liberal. You know, there were sort of these um, rules from the government really kind of dictating what you could or could not talk about what was too liberal um, would be censored. And so he sort of skirted around this issue by writing about the Greeks. So at that time, the Greeks were trying to uh, gain their independence. So he sort of talked about these liberal ideas through this sort of Greek, oh, we should support the Greek people, we should support their independence. But it was a very thinly veiled sort of, and this is also mirrored in our society. Right. Yeah. So also, Muller was very well known at this time for um, spreading Lord Byron's works around Germany. And I thought, if you would be curious yes. interested to know we might go on a tiny lord byron tangent i was like already <laughs> expecting it <laughs> Which oh i just okay? dropped all the okay. music <laughs> that's okay we can get it later you don't need it right this second okay i really I'm in, no I, i'm enjoying this <laughs> like i'm not gonna be able to relax until i grab all the sheet music off the ground would you say you would have been chafing against your the, yeah, the boundaries yes, of your existence <laughs> My mental issues. <laughs> um, okay, so I really didn't know much about Lord Byron. And uh, the two I years... I have heard the... Did you... I, I, oh, for sure. I'd heard the okay, name. Okay, I was like, I've heard his name meandering about. And there were but... a few times in London where people would bring up Lord Byron in a way that like, oh, of course, everyone knows this the same way you know the words to Old MacDonald had a far. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like... <laughs> oh no um so i don't know if i want to be admitting this <laughs> like something like, that's going out really to like the like, mass public but dictionary.com something you're like aha it's like, <laughs> it's like sorry i'm just checking instagram you're like yeah. actually like okay what lord is byron, lord byron lord byron <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i did know a little bit about him but i decided because muller was such a proponent of his work i would go down that little rabbit trail and i found it really fascinating and um he actually did write the text he was a poet a nobleman british nobleman um and he did write the text for some songs that later on Schumann set, a couple other composers too. So maybe we'll cover them and I'll go into depth about this Lord Byron character because he was fascinating. Um, he was a British nobleman, um, sort of a leading figure in the Romantic movement. Hmm. And he was just a larger than life character. He, I think by the age of 21, they said he had syphilis and gonorrhea and like, because <laughs> he was very sexually, um, I, don't, I was going to say prolific, um, that's not the word, uh, promiscuous. Oh, yeah, promiscuous, <laughs> yeah. I was like. Um, he was bisexual, loved men and women equally, sometimes at the same time. He had huge debts, numerous love affairs. Um, one of his uh, famous lovers said that he was mad, bad, and dangerous to know. <laughs> That's hilarious. Right? So, like, the like the first real bad boy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, interesting fact. Uh, I don't know how I ran across this. His birthplace is now occupied in 
uh, in the UK, there's a like a department store chain called John Lewis. Kind of think of maybe like Nordstrom here. Okay. Um, his birthplace is now occupied by the Oxford Circus, John Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, which I think is hilarious. Actually, my gray mug is from John Lewis. Oh, yep. well, cheers to Lord Byron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll drink to him later. Yes. So he wrote in this sort of style that um, set up this what we now call the Byronic hero. Um, It's this protagonist that rejects established norms and conventions, is maybe sort of ostracized by society because they have, they don't quite fit in. He has himself as sort of like the center of existence and is but like trying to seek like a higher plane uh, of enlightenment. Like I said, he was a leader in the a romantic movement and uh, romanticism really focused on emotion and individualism this glorification of the past and um, these sort of individualists would raise the quality of society so that's the sort of vein that all of this was in so okay. if you understand that Mueller was really stoked yes on Byron and, and these sorts of ideas I think we, we understand a little bit more about Mueller himself so while he was influenced by Byron Muller's style was a bit more sleek and concise. So because of his study of the development of the German language, ancient German literature, he was able to capture the true essence of a folk song. Mm. So he had this idea that mm. it wasn't true, true folk poetry if you were aware of the sort of poetic um, techniques at yeah. work, if that makes sense. So he preferred just simplicity of expression. And uh, we, we find that really in, in um, Schöne Müllerin, for instance, it's very folk-like. And the way Schubert said it too, it's just these strophic songs, which is just like verses repeated over and over again. So like same type of melody, but different verses. Mm-hmm. Even the characters that he employs, um, they're fairly conventional type figures like sailors, fishermen, millers, hunters. Just a little bit, regarding Müller and music, he often thought about music as he was writing his poetry down, like he sort of conceived of it as a a musical sort of thing. And um, there's this beautiful quote that I have. He says, if I could produce the melodies, my songs would be more pleasing than they are now. But courage, perhaps there is a kindred spirit somewhere who will hear the tunes behind the words and give them back to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Except he died before he could hear yeah. that. So <laughs> there's Dear. that venture um, horizon. Although there is, there's this kind of funny thing because um, it is known that he disliked word painting in music. So word painting is where like if you say like something fluttered, you, yes. you do, somehow you said it so it's really and fluttery. And Schubert does that. And Schubert does do okay, that. Okay. So. And he wasn't such a huge fan. Müller was not such a huge fan of that. Also, um, Müller said of folk music, one must understand vocabulary, syntax, form, meter, rhyme, rhythm. Oh, right, this is what I was saying. The more one notices artful poetic technique, the less truly folk-like the poem is. Mm-hmm. So bring this all back to Winterreise. Uh, it's a set of 24 poems. And he published the first 12 poems in an almanac. Okay. think in 1823. It seems that Schubert discovered these late in 1826 or maybe the beginning of 1827. So they existed for a few years until Schubert found them. Okay. And then later, Müller kept writing, realized, oh wait, I'm not done with this. I don't want, I don't want to end this here. And he kept writing and he, and he wrote more. 
Did they have um, popularity, like in the Almanac, was that a pretty like big publication back then? Or So there were lots of different kinds, but okay. the specific one is the one in which it was published. Okay. When Schubert discovered the 12, he set those first 12 that were in there, and then later on, he found the others. Oh, like, interesting. Oh my okay. gosh. You know, and, he's, and he set the others and rearranged the order. So Mueller's order of the cycle is not the same that Schubert set. So um, he changes the order of the poems for a different dramatic effect. Got it. Uh, and there are sometimes, some people do perform it in Muller's original um, order, but because Schubert didn't intend it that way, like key relationships are a little bit kind of weird, and you're, you just sort of end up in this different sort of mental space. Okay. Um, which we'll talk about later when we do a Winterreise series. So let's get to our actual song. Oh, wait, before we get to the actual song, I just want to say this quick little anecdote about Mueller's death. He died at the age of 32, um, shortly before his 33rd birthday, I believe. So he'd been traveling with his wife, and he was happily married. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he he had a pretty easy existence. He wasn't really troubled too much. His marriage was easy. You know, he loved his kids. So he was traveling... For about five or six weeks, I believe it was the end of July, beginning of September. And along the way, he stops at a friend's house. And because the friend knows how obsessed he is with all things Greek, he paints on a piece of cloth, he paints a Greek flag. And the background of it was white. And he paints what he thinks is a white cross. I think it was like blue and white stripe, and then he paints like a a white cross on it. But in the middle of the night, it rained, so it washed out all of the blue. And when they come out of the house in the morning, Mueller and his wife turn around and see that what his host thought he had painted in white, he had actually painted in black. So after the rain had washed away the background, what was left was just a white flag with a black cross, which is the omen of death. Oh. Two weeks later, Mueller died at the age of 32 from a heart attack. So interesting. Wow. I mean, he didn't have the best of health. He had had um, a chest condition earlier, in which the doctor prescribed that he had to go to a spa, which I wish doctors would prescribe these days. <laughs> but then again, doctors were also prescribing like bloodletting and that sort of thing. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. I just think that that's kind of a fascinating yeah. um, situation around, around his death. And again, it's also pretty sad to me he died at the age of 32 schubert died at the age of 31 you know these incredible artists creating these (laughs) incredible works of art and they died younger than the age i am right now you know all i've done is managed to accumulate a massive student debt (laughs) (laughs) it's like the 27 club except back in like the 1800s it was the 33 club (laughs) Let's actually move on to our song. Uh, we're talking about Auf dem Flusser, and I'm going to move over to the piano. Okay, uh, so I think you have the music there, Deb. Um, that I drop? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. I don't think you understand how much I love this song. I'm obsessed with it. I think it's one of the most effective songs from the cycle. So let's get right into it. Uh, the opening phrase says... You who so merrily rush, you clear, wild flow, how still have you become? You give no parting greeting. 
So at this point in the cycle, the, the wanderer, the, our traveler, he's out away from society, away from civilization, and he's come across a river. And um, it's the dead of winter, so it's frozen over. And Schubert depicts this icy river with this very minimalist um, intro. It's, there's so much tension, Yeah, <laughs> I think, in the fact that there's so little there. It starts in, I think you wonder, what am I hearing? You just wonder, like, what direction is it going to go? Like, that's what my question was, is like, okay, like, is this going to take some really dramatic turn? Like, what, like, how is the yeah. chord progression going to go? Yeah, yeah. And it's almost uh, kind of comically sparse right it almost yeah. feels like maybe i'm watching a car like a, ca a cartoon a caricature of something yes because it's just that minimal um and so we're just sort of seeing that icy sort of unbending nature of this frozen ice and then over that the vocal line comes in just very legato it, which is in contrast to what the piano is doing. Mm -hmm. So it creates um, this really interesting tension. After we, so we have this intro, right? And then the vocal line comes in and the piano accompaniment keeps going the same way. Until we get to this very, sh like for the time was a pretty shocking harmonic change. Um, when he says how still or how quiet you've become, there's this sudden tonal shift from here down a half step. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right, which is pretty shocking. For the time that did it, it wasn't really a harmonic thing that happened at the time. Um, so it's pretty, pretty shocking. And I, I, Schubert's really known for this. Like, all of a sudden, we're just in a different key. And it's really, really effective. I think Graham Johnson... Um, says it the best where he says, we're just all of a sudden in this altered state. And this yes. transformation has just happened and we're just in this altered, oh, like, oh, here we are now. Instead oh, got of here, <laughs> yeah. we're here. And then there's a shiver when he says, in the vocal line, he says, how quiet you've become. Um, you give no parting greeting and on the word no or kainen, there's a sort of shiver that we have. <laughs> That sort of little, yes. yeah, that ornament gives us the effect of a shiver. We can almost feel the ice creeping up onto our neck. So we have another verse, um, and the words say, with a hard, stiff crust, you have covered yourself. Uh, you lie cold and motionless. And at that cold and motionless, we have that harmonic shift again, from here to here. And then he says, you are in the sand, you're outstretched. And then we have this into the major, which we weren't expecting, right? And at this major part, uh, we sort of get into a, a little bit less hushed, not quite as the horror setting that we had before. And he says, in, in your covering or in your crust, 
I, I carve with a sharp stone. So he, he grabs a sharp stone. He says, I carve the name of my beloved and the hour and the day of our meeting, our first meeting, and the day on my leaving, on the, the day on which I, I went away, essentially. And he, around the name and the numbers, these dates, the names and the numbers of the dates, he draws an, uh, a broken circle, a broken ring. So it's like a tombstone carved in the ice. Interesting. So it's almost like he is making a shrine to his relationship. Here, here's when it was born, here's when it died, here's the names, tombstone. Which is kind of funny considering that we're now in this major land. Maybe he's really happy it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I, we don't really know. Maybe he is. <laughs> he's like, got rid of her. <laughs> but also I think there's quite a bit of grief. I mean, we, we yeah, know throughout yeah. this cycle he's really struggling with his grief and the, and the fact that he doesn't belong. Um, and there's things, nature's always sort of provoking him. Yeah, I think even the fact that he's out here doing this in the ice... Doing, so, doing it in, in a nature that's uncomfortable is adding another element to his, another layer to his misery that he's going through. Yeah. As he says the day when he's writing the day and the hour of our first meeting, he goes from um, these 16th, duplet 16th, from these, to he goes to triplets. Which sort of feels a bit like when he's, he says, oh, I'm putting the day of our first meeting. It's almost like the heart flutters you have. Uh. Right? Oh, that, yes. this person that I'm now in a relationship with or, or you know, that, you know that, that yeah. feeling. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. all know it. Of course. They continue on just a little bit different color on the day in which I, I, I left. It has a bit mm -hmm. of a different color to it. Definitely. And then when he says around the name and the numbers, he draws like this sort of a winding broken ring, broken circle. The piano sort of takes over after the vocalist sings that, and we have this broken feeling. Listen to this. It just stops. You have dead silence, which I think kind of, emphasizes that sort of emptiness that perhaps he's experiencing with now missing this relationship from uh, in his life mm -hmm. right it just broke it just broke off it's done then and now we get to my favorite part uh, we get to this next verse he says everything before this point has been external it's been things that he's seeing things he's observing and then he turns internal and he says my heart in this brook, in this water that he's been looking at, do you recognize, do you now see your, your own image? So we think about this river that's frozen over. What's actually going on underneath? Mm -hmm. It looks still, but is it? No, probably not. It's probably not frozen solid. Like, is there actually maybe a raging torrent underneath? Yes. And just like the ice has frozen over on the top, so he's had to freeze over himself, this raging torrent that's actually beneath the surface. Oh, wow. So when we get to this inward section, when he says that he starts addressing his heart, 
we've had from the beginning, remember we had this just dry accompaniment, but then Schubert puts this bass line underneath, which gives us the idea that maybe there actually is something going down beneath the surface. So listen to this. So, aha, there is actually another layer here, right? Mm -hmm. It's still not too, this is not intense, but it's there. Then when he says, do you recognize your, or do you recognize your own image? He has this sort of oblique kind of shift down to a, a harmony we're not expecting. And then we sort of have this breaking forth. You can hear that. Like if the ice was actually just going to crack open, what yes. would it let forth? And it lets something forth here. And we, ha we feel a little bit of the torrent. Then Schubert takes it somewhere else. In the left hand of the piano, we have this sort of... We can feel the torrent actually breaking and the vocal line goes up high. But interestingly enough, this isn't yet the dynamic climax of the piece because Schubert decides to say all of that again, but he goes somewhere slightly tonally different. So after he says, you know, this aggressive, under this crust there's a, this aggressive swelling, he addresses his heart again. He says that same thing again. But then he decides to go to the major. He's saying, in this brook, is, do you see your image? That's what he's saying again. And in this major setting of it, I almost feel like the true horror of what he's experiencing might be sinking in even a little bit more. Like the okay. first time he asks, this is, and this is a, a thing in Schubert, when he says something again, it means something different. It's just, it's not just the same restatement. Mm -hmm. You can't just take it at face value. There's subtext. Subtext that maybe wasn't there or is different than the first time. Interesting. So I think for me, and this is a personal choice, when he goes into this major in this brook, and then it's pianissimo. It's a little bit more horrifying, the fact that, oh, wait, this is me. This, this is my, I, I do see myself. My heart mm -hmm. does see itself. And we go somewhere a little bit different tonally this time. We have these, uh, in this restatement of this, we have, again, this breaking forth. We have this aggressive swelling again. Um, but we've just gone a, a little bit of a different place tonally. And then um, I think it adds to the sort of heightened heightened feeling of oh this is my reality now like this this is something that is actually happening there is a torrent beneath here yes um so we have this kind of full like breaking of the of the levee and then for the postlude it goes right back oh i like that ends <laughs> this I know this might sound kind of odd but um 
growing up in Montana, you run across frozen streams or rivers a lot. And like, it actually does sound like you're like, oh, this is like soft and safe kind of, but I know that there's a river underneath. And like, if you go through like, we're dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this is just, this is one of my favorite songs. Like I said, I think it's it's so incredibly effective. Um, and I'm really excited I'm now excited to, to have Tyler here. Um, and we'll perform it for you. Yes, Tyler. Okay, so yeah, uh, reaction. <laughs> reaction. Um, 
I was really surprised that I was surprised or caught off guard in the last, <laughs> <laughs> like, the last, uh, what page are we? The last page, like, right before you ended, like, how strong and, like, the piece, like, really welled up at the very end. Like, the very yes. end. But I didn't think it was going to ever get that dramatic, I guess, is the word I would use. In a good yeah, way. Like, yeah. it, I was like, whoa. Well, I think, I think it's really cool that you say that because that's really the effect that we wanted to go for. So, I mean, you know, when we do these songs, there's so literally thousands of things that are up to personal preference mm -hmm. you know of course we have to play the right notes and like <laughs> according to what like schubert put on the page you know rhythms and all that uh, and um but always I love, this, like the slight like of course we have to follow the notes right like, <laughs> <laughs> all right that's there yeah. but you have this this layer of just personal preference and and what sort of interpretation you're going for and and tyler and i've actually performed venturize a number of times and this song in particular just because I, I love it so much we've we've done it loads of times at different things and um this was this last time when we were rehearsing getting ready for this it was the first time that we said actually let's really not let it fully break forth until the end yeah well you succeeded <laughs> so it's cool to hear that to hear yeah. that feedback i like that you said it was surprising too that that that's how it ends and that that's that there's still that much emotion in there because I think the whole point is even, you know, this is not even halfway through the cycle, but he's started to kind of freeze over a little bit in terms of emotion um, and kind of block the real hardcore feelings that he, that he was dealing with before, I think. And in my own life, I think it's really interesting because when something hits you uh, out of nowhere and it reminds you of something in the past or something you've dealt with or felt, you know, and sometimes it's really surprising, shocking almost to your system that there's still that much raw emotion inside, mm -hmm. like years yes. later sometimes, you know? I think that's so incredible, honestly, that this, this work, you know, from the beginning of the 19th century can be hitting you in this way. Yeah. And I know I've said this before, but this is exactly why I love song and why I want to talk about it and why I think it's important because... It's not outdated. It's not out of fashion. It's not out of style. I mean, emotion is, is timeless. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. circumstances change, time changes, people change, culture changes. But, I mean, you can, people can relate to the emotion behind anything, I think, just as, just as much today mm -hmm. as they could 200 mm -hmm. years ago. Yes. Yeah. Ty, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about maybe just from a vocal point of view, like what it's like to sing this particular work and just any any thoughts that you have. Well, I think this song is really, well, it's really challenging, first of all. Um, Schubert likes to play with uh, opposites and far ends of the spectrum. And I think you get that. You get everything in this song. I mean, he marks, like Mandy said, pianissimo at the beginning. And you've got all this text, but you've still got these octave jumps and stuff. So it's vocally difficult, but you're supposed to do it at the absolute softest level you possibly can. Um, and then by the end of the song, you're kind of at the opposite spectrum. You're basically at the highest part of at least mm -hmm. my voice, you know, and then uh, going that way. But in terms of the cycle, this is probably one of my favorite points along the way, just because I feel like I've connected with it emotionally more so than some of the other songs that surround it. Um, it's not so much an observation as it is like a real connection to what he's feeling in, in nature, you know, it's him 
in his own place in the world and he totally relates to this river. You know? Maybe it's a sort of aha moment yeah. for him. Yeah, totally. And it's really a magical cycle in general, but you, you have to... I think it's important to, to note that he stops along the way at a number of certain things um, and reflects on what he's seeing. Or there are a couple landmarks throughout the whole piece that really um, are the most effective, in my opinion. And this is one of those, you know, mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. I think it's also um, a great example of what can be achieved with utmost simplicity. You know, we talked about Muller being very sort of sleek and concise and not using more words than necessary. And, and Schubert is the same way I feel in, in this particular song. There's very few notes actually in this song. And the effect that it has is just stunning. Well, with that, I guess we'll call it a day. Um, thanks for joining us on uh, Follow the Leader. I have been, I have been, <laughs> no more. I am Mandy Madrid Sikic, <laughs> your host. <laughs> and I've been here uh, with Deborah Wood and Tyler Reese. And that's a wrap. Mm-hmm.